I kept walking around the room that day saying over and over, I, I can't believe you came. <laughs> like, I can't believe, you, I just can't believe you came. And it, it became this refrain throughout the day that I just, it just kept coming out, you know. And then a year or two later, in a different setting, uh, I kept going around the room going, I can't believe you came. I can't, I can't believe you're here, you know. And the story that I'm describing were the, uh, the, the two weddings of, of our girls, uh, the first in Liverpool with Anna Grace and the, the next in uh, Puebla, Mexico with Joy. And I knew they were coming, the guests, you know. I, I knew who was coming because we had a list. But the fact that they, you know, chose to get there, what, what I meant by I can't believe you're here is really thank you for coming. Because I, I know it costs a lot of money to get here, flights and hotels and all that jazz. And I was just overwhelmed with gratitude, like, thank you for being here. And that's what Advent is. The first Advent that we look back to and the one that we look forward to, this sense of Advent, like, we can say, I can't believe you came, but really what we should say is, thank you for coming. This is amazing that you came once and I really believe you're gonna come again so that when, when Jesus shows up in his second coming, in his second advent, that we, we, we should not declare like, can't believe he showed up. This is amazing. Good for you. No, he came trustworthy, demonstrating his faithfulness. And because of that, it's a building block in who we understand him to be that if he did that, he's gonna do that as well. And that's what Christmas is all about. So welcome. Thank you for coming on a super rainy day. This is amazing. Um, I, know, I know people go to a Panthers game and sit in the rain and the cold. And so, yeah, we should show up at church, right? Because this is way more important and way better. Amen? Yeah. So grab your Bible, turn on, turn to Luke uh, chapter 2. And I want to start with that story and connect it to where we have been. So... In Luke 2, what we've already seen in our Advent series is the first day we were in Luke 2, and we, we, we um, met an old guy named Simeon and an old lady named Anna who had been waiting and waiting and waiting at the temple for the Messiah. And we learned that waiting and hope were cousins. Remember that? We talked about what hope was and longing for something and that it often involved a wait to get there. And then last week, we looked at uh, peace. Same chapter, same characters. In fact, Simeon said, you remember, he goes, I can die now because I have seen him. I've seen the Savior, the Messiah. So today I wanted to start in the same chapter and then we're going to jump over to Matthew 2, but watch the result of when God shows up. It says in verse 10 of chapter 2, the angels say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So check out the screen now. There's this sense of great joy, right? Like great in the Greek is megas, like mega. So there was like a mega joy that unfolded for them in this like, what? And here, we have to do this, so just forgive me. You know this story really well. Even if, even if you've never trusted Christ uh, yet, hopefully in your life, you, you've heard the Christmas story. But for those of you who are in Christ, you've heard this a lot. 
And what's, what happens? Familiarity breeds contempt, right? And, and we lose the sense of wonder and, yeah, okay, get to the good stuff. This is the good stuff. This is the word. This is Luke 2. And I want you to put yourself in the feet of these who are hearing this. I'm bringing you good news of great joy, of mega joy. That will be what? What does it say? For all the people, for all the people, for all the nations. This is not just a Jewish nation thing. It is God using the Jewish people to bring a Messiah from one of the tribes, tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah came and to bless the nations, to bless everyone, amen? So in light of that, as we think about our goal to plant or replant 25 churches this decade, we have, if you don't know, a, a Latin congregation called Impacto that's doing great. Uh, we have a Slavic congregation that meets every Sunday afternoon that's doing great, like 300 Ukrainians and Russians coming together to worship the Lord. Only Christ can do that. So you think about the nations you know, gathering. And we have what's bubbling up as uh, another church uh, called Word of Life Arabic uh, Church or Fellowship. And so a lady moved from Egypt to Charlotte a year or so ago. And the Lord's just been working in her life and others' lives. And they have this, this fellowship that's, that's growing. And there's a church of Arabic speakers of 20 to 30 that are gathering now on campus here on the weekend. And through social media, they're inviting friends to come and people are coming of, uh, uh, that speak Arabic that aren't even believers because as you know, who, who have traveled or lived abroad, it's comforting, right? To hear your language and to see people that understand your culture. And so they're having a big event on New Year's Eve uh, to, to, and they're expecting 100 folks to show up. And so this is a great prayer point for us to pray for the Holy Spirit to really be at work on New Year's Eve at the Word of Life Arabic Fellowship that night because there will be folks there that have never met Christ. How awesome is that? It's just so cool how the Holy Spirit takes something so small like a lady who had moved here from Egypt to bring about this. And who knows where that'll go. So the scripture says very clearly that he came and this great joy was one that was for all people and the explosion of it. So consider Matthew 2. Matthew 2 verses, I'm just gonna leave 10 up there, but I'm gonna read one through 10 with you. And I want you to hear something very similar and confirming of what we just read. Listen to chapter two, verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying this, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw a star and it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. So just as an aside, King Herod, was, King Herod was the definition of narcissist before we had a Webster's Dictionary. Egomaniac par excellence. The things he built in his honor. He built a mountain. If you've been to Jerusalem, you can see Herodian. It's, it's a man-made mountain. He made a mountain for himself. He's that guy, okay? So to hear that a king had been born in town is not a good thing to hear if you're that guy because everybody needs to look at me. That's who King Herod is. 
And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes, and he acquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and it's Micah 5 that I'm going to read, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them and it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, there's just an explosion there. There's a verb, there's an adjective, there is an adverb, and there's a noun. <laughs> Bam. And there's this mega joy going on again. And this, this word for exceedingly was used once out of the t- ten times in the New Testament as terrified. Like, there's this sense of, what? Like, and there's this introduction here that fear and I'll say even sorrow can, can coexist with joy in the same heart. I first heard Clay Barnes say that years ago, that joy and sorrow can exist in the same heart. And we're going to get there in a moment. But I just want you to feel this fear and this terror and this awe mixed with joy as, these, as, as they are, 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 are understanding what God's done. Like, what? This is like an explosion of joy. So let me state something that's under the surface right now. That I am fully aware that some of you are feeling this week. And that is Christmas brings so much joy. But Christmas also brings a a, a profound amount of sadness for some. Because some of you are going to have your first Christmas without your dad or your mom. Or your child. Or your mom or your dad. It's, It's like all of this... And we're inundated with it. Like, I, I love this time of the year. Christmas Eve is my favorite day of the year. You all know that. But there's a big difference between the nostalgia of Christmas and the gospel. We hear Bing Crosby. We, we hear those old songs. We hear the movies. Or we watch the movies, you know, Wonderful Life and all the others. You know, that's a whole industry. And it seems so old to us. But, you know, the, I mean, that's... That's an invention of American culture, 50, 60, 70 years old. And there's a nostalgia that will bring just a sting to your heart that at the same time will bring no comfort. It's all well and good until somebody passes away. Because it's the joy, it's the romanticization of it, it's the nostalgia of it, going home for Christmas, going to have a white Christmas, whatever, you know, maybe someday. And there's all that like warm, fuzzy, until somebody's not around the tree this week. And then all of that nostalgia just fails. It doesn't deliver. But the gospel does. Because even though there'll be somebody missing at the table or the tree this week, the gospel doesn't leave you there. The gospel says, I'll see you again, Dad. It's not, it's not goodbye at a Christian funeral. It's I'll see you again. That's the hope that First Thessalonians 4 talks about, that 
We don't grieve without hope as the world does, but we grieve with hope because we believe there's a resurrection for all of us in Christ and a reunion because of it. And there's the tremendous difference. So if joy is something so much richer and deeper than the nostalgia of Christmas, what is it really? I mean, beyond the superficial definitions of joy versus happy and all that jazz. I mean, I really want us to dig into it for a moment. So joy Hebraically, was really expressed for the most part in the Old Testament as like a military victory, like, yay, we won, we beat them, yay. Um, it was at the feast, you know, the, the Messianic feast that they, you know, all that. And thirdly, the joy of the Old Testament was looking forward to what we now look backward to. They looked forward to the Messiah, to the hope of Israel. So that was kind of like the heart of joy in the Old Testament, but when you get to the New Testament, it, there's a different layer to that, and that is this. I'll, I'll just walk it out in three or four steps. I, joy was unleashed in the earth at the first advent. That's why Christmas is such an amazing holiday to remember, to celebrate a feast of our own as Gentiles, to say joy was unleashed. You hear the, you just hear all through Luke and Matthew, joy just unleashed into the earth but secondly that showing up right that that arrival brought something with it as well not just the the showing like Jesus could have been like as baby like put on his little baby cape and like flown off back to heaven after the first Christmas week and like it was great being with you guys see you later and then you remove everything there is no gospel story but baby Jesus didn't put on a cape he stayed so as joy was unleashed through his incarnation or in fleshing, Christmas is Christ's mass, Christ's body. We got the life, death, and resurrection of Christ as well. The gospel. Remember the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, of his life, death, and resurrection so that through faith in him, we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. Joy came because he came. And then he stayed we get the gospel, that good news. And thirdly, the, God, the, the joy that the gospel brings offers us an abiding life. You know, you know, when you hear in John 15, verses 1 to 10, Jesus is talking about vine and branches and you abide in me and I in you and all of this intimacy. Verse 11 says this. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So you tracking with me? Joy exploded in the earth because he showed up. And his life, death, and resurrection brought us the gospel, which is joy. And from that gospel, when you and I believe it and are born again, put our faith in him, we can walk in, a, in an abiding life. Like in your, you're in the word, you're in prayer, you're walking with him. And from that abiding, the Holy Spirit then fourthly produces in us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, joy. And so you begin to see that there's something happening here that is supernatural because we're gonna see now that in this life we live with this good news of the gospel, there are just some days that aren't great. Every day is not a great day. 
if everything's the same, you can't have ranking of such. You know, there's great, good, and not good, right? If everything's great, then it just doesn't make sense logically. There's some days that are just hard. They're tough. They're disappointing. There's loss, right? What do you do with that? How do we learn from that? The early church in Acts 5 says this. It says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. So you got a bunch of dudes coming out of this council that they're being judged and they've suffered. And yet they're like, "Woo, this is awesome. We, got, we get to suffer for Jesus. To which it, in our natural mind or to the world, you go, what? You guys are just weird. Because those don't go together. There's no peanut butter and jelly in that. But there is in Christ. There is something mysterious and supernatural that we walk through to have suffering and joy at the same time. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, I'm filled with comfort. And in all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. How can somebody afflicted and suffering have this joy? It's a miracle. It's like the peace that passes understanding. There's a joy that we can have in the midst of our suffering that's very rich and deep. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 1. It's a little longer, but it's worth reading the whole opening. He says in 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, listen, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's joy in trial. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is what Peter leads with in his letter. He leads with this, like you're gonna suffer and you're gonna have joy in the midst of it. So just buckle up and get ready for it. And as they did and as we do, we're reminded of this truth. This life is one that we pass through to an eternity that is a lot longer than this life. And so whatever we suffer, whatever loss we encounter, we can be reminded of ourselves in ourselves that joy and sorrow can hang out in the same heart. A friend of mine from Texas um, sent me this book this week. It's called Champagne for the Soul, Rediscovering God's Gift of Joy. And at the end of one of the chapters, I read this in bed last night, and I thought, perfect. Joy may seem an upbeat sort of feeling, but the direction of joy isn't always up. Often to be joyful, we have to go down. Down through the noise of those racing thoughts. Down through the swirling chaos of circumstances. Down through the deceptive appearances of life. Down into the still water and the green pasture at, at our heart's core. Have I been happy today? Yes, richly so. 
Yet, I've also been processing deep undercurrents of disturbing feelings or sorrow. Can these two states coexist, joy and profound disturbance? Strange to say they can. An unsettled joy isn't the same as a clear singing joy, but it is joy nonetheless. Though there be clouds in the sky, the sun can still shine brilliantly. I wrote in my book here one of my favorite lines from Switchfoot, the shadow proves the sunshine. We all know it's raining like crazy today. And we all know above that cloud deck, there's a brilliant sun shining above us. And so in the shadow, we are aware of a sun creating the shadow. And so, yes, joy and sorrow can coexist and live in the same heart. And the reason I bring that up is because oftentimes, not just in the world, but in the church, we see joy and happiness as happy, clappy, and superficial, and playing a game, and putting on a face that we say, you know, I have to play this part because I'm supposed to always be on top. And sometimes in life, they're just things that hurt and that we suffer from, loss of all kinds of things. And so I had not fully intended to share with you the story I'm about to share, but I feel like in a tiny, tiny way, it illustrates what I'm trying to get across. Um, unexpectedly this week, our, our uh, golden retriever, we had to put her down on Friday uh, evening. And uh, her name was Katie. Um, she was the dog we bought to bribe our daughter to move to Texas back when we lived in Katy, Texas. And so we've had her um, 11 plus years. And my son-in-law happened to call me as Alexi and I were driving back from out and he said, something's really weird. And Katie was in our kitchen, laid out face down and she was on top of her, she'd had an accident. And she was laying there, she wasn't getting up and she wouldn't get up with a treat that she always gets up for. And um, so I got home. I was like, yeah, it's not good. So we, 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 we um, put Katie in a blanket, got her to the vet. And, you know, it was that, it was that trip to the vet where you, you don't want to go. But you've, most of you have been there. And it's like, there's really nothing to do. And so um, I haven't cried that hard in a long time. I mean, it was like, like you know, ugly cry. Um, because I love that dog. And I know some of you are going, dude, get over it. It's just a dog. But I hope most of you are going, I get it. I understand. Because, um, you know, when you love deeply, you hurt deeply. I don't care if it's a dog or not. And um, I won't miss her bad. And I asked Anna Grace to drive over because she was coming home from work. Because we bought Katie for her. And I wanted her to say goodbye. And as I'm in the midst of the, the ugly cry... I had an epiphany that I had never thought of. And I told her between sobs, one reason I loved that dog so much was because she was my link to you. All those years you lived in Liverpool and my heart ached to see you home. She was like by proxy, she was my link to you. And so there was a depth of like love for that dog that, and just golden retrievers in general, the best dog ever. And I'm just going to miss her. And so yesterday was a, wa a wash. 
I got in bed last night and as I just started to think and to pray in the darkness, I was reminded my joy is in the gospel. My joy is preaching the gospel to myself and that in my journey of loss, and look, I get it, I'm not, I've not lost a parent, I've not lost a child, I've not lost a sibling, I've just lost grandparents. And so what I share is in no way to be like, so yeah, I understand what you're walking through. I'm not saying that at all. I've done a ton of funerals and I see up close what that's like. But when I sat in my bed and lay in my bed and I thought about the hope of the gospel, like this whole week is about Jesus showing up and the unleashing of his joy in the earth and from his arrival came the gospel and the indwelling Holy Spirit that brings joy in the midst of pain and sorrow. And like, yeah, I hurt tonight and I fell asleep with a wet pillow. And, and, and yet there was a joy in my heart of knowing that there is more to this life. And I wanted you to know that for those of you who have buried humans <laughs> and loved ones, maybe fellow pet owners to know that for those of us in Christ with our beloved who are human, there is a reunion coming and there is a goodness of that. And that is a gift that the world can't give. So you've heard me say a couple of times already, I'll say this one last time. Preach the gospel to yourself this week and forget trying to have the perfect Christmas this week. It doesn't matter. In the midst of a perfect Christmas and a really bad one, the gospel is still true. Amen. That's why we celebrate it every year. So, Father, we open up our hearts to you now as we want to process this truth. Thank you for the, your faithfulness to show up. Thank you for the trustworthiness of who you are. Thank you for what we, we see and what we saw as gospel that Jesus didn't leave. He stayed and lived and died and was resurrected and is coming back. That second advent that we now look to. And so, Lord, I, I thank you that in suffering and in the best of times, we can have a joy that's really different and rich and deep, tethered to the gospel, the gospel alone. Thank you for showing us that the nostalgia of Christmas music and movies will fail us at the end of the day, but your gospel never does. Would you take a second and pray however you need to pray concerning Christmas and joy and suffering? Just talk to your father for a moment, would you? Father, thank you that you give us joy always. It just might look a little different. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' good name, amen.
going to ask if our ushers would come forward as we receive our offering and give it to him in worship. And Father, we pray now that you take our dollars, uh, take these tithes and offerings and ask that you'd see our hearts, see our hearts as cheerful givers and joyful givers, acknowledging that everything we have is yours. And so this peace that we give back is, is an act of worship. Yes, that you do great things right here to the ends of the earth. Build your kingdom with this, we ask in Jesus' name.